I'm very thankful to be here today. Um, this is the first time I've preached since my surgery, and uh, it was touch and go, and the Lord sort of got me through it, thanks to the prayers of so many of you guys. And uh, I didn't know if I'd be able to make it to the platform to preach, and I still ask people to please pray my voice won't disappear. It has a habit of fading out. But I got a glass of water, thanks to Gillian. She popped one up there for me, and uh, I'm ready to go. Now, this morning, we're going to have our reading. And the first reading comes from Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. Very well-known verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to look at that in a few minutes, but we're also going to look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. And we're going to be reading verses 3 to 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Loving Father, as we come to you this morning, We're so glad to be in your house. We're so glad to be with one another and to know that we're part of the building stones of your temple, living stones. Thank you, Lord, for this and for the encouragement you give us through your word. And as we study these passages that we've just read, we just pray, dear Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will convict uh, of sin and repentance and bring us to repentance for those things for where we fall short, and lift us up so that we can understand more about you, get closer to you and to know you, so that we can go into this new year full of the hope that you give us in Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, another year is about to start. Last year for me, I've got to admit, was a bit of an anus horribilis, as the Queen uh, called it a few years ago. Um, We haven't had family troubles like she had, 
but we have had some pretty lousy times this year with uh, sicknesses and all this sort of thing. Still got a few hours to go, haven't we? <laughs> we better watch out. But uh, in actual fact, God has got us through it, and we know we are living with him. But um, what will the coming year bring? Well, possibly much of the same. Uh, I've lived now for 81 years, and uh, nothing seems to change much each year. The same old problems crop up, plus a few new ones, and I'm sure you're all aware of that, and uh, you know it's going to be like that. Um, probably, um, you know, I, I would like to be a better person and a stronger Christian, but, you know, I know I'm going to mess up, and I need God's grace, and I guess you're thinking the same thing, you know, we really never come there. How about you? One of the interesting customs of Ethiopia is uh, that lovely couple who were at language school. I took that slide in 1969, believe it or not. It's kept pretty well, hasn't it? But uh, one of the interesting customs of Ethiopia is that on their New Year's Day, which incidentally uses a different calendar and a different day, their New Year's Day is in September, but... Um, uh, the custom is to um, the men dress into new clean clothing and parade publicly. Aren't they pretty? Aren't they smart, those men, with their leggings? I never knew how they got into them, honestly. It's better than the jeans that they wear over here. But uh, somehow or other, they're getting them. And some of the women, the Ampara ladies, do so too. But we found an interesting thing, that in the poorer areas where we were working, we found that many women actually put their new dress on, like everyone else, but over the top of the old one. And they left it there to kind of uh, drop off when it fell apart. Now, that's a good way to keep warm, I guess, but uh, not the very best way to go about things. Now, in Romans 1.12, Paul tells us, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can properly discern God's will. Now, the Greek word that's used here um, for transformed, and incidentally, it's in the plural, so it's talking to us all, it's not talking to any single person. He's using a word that we use now to describe the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's called metamorphosis. Those who've done their biology will remember that from school. But um, this word has been taken over. And you know how different a caterpillar is. Ugly-looking thing goes into a pupus and uh, comes out as a beautiful butter butterfly and is quite different. Well, that is what he's commanding us to allow to happen to us as Christians. And this is what we're thinking about this morning. The end product looks and acts very differently to the original and it can accomplish what re he really wants of us. It, it's easy to be a born-again believer in Christ because it's a gift and just needs to be received. That's the easiest part of becoming a Christian, is just to believe. And it's, we believe by faith, and we are justified by faith alone in the finished work of Christ. That's all there is to it. If you haven't done that, then really this is the time to do it. Don't go into the new year not knowing that you have been saved. 
and we have that peace of heart and all the things that it comes. He's forgiven, we're forgiven our sins, past, present and future, and we'll never face the wrath of God's judgment. That's wonderful, isn't it? And that's the thing that keeps us together and holds us together when we're in our dire circumstances that come across to us. But when it comes to growing into the likeness of Christ, that is what we call sanctification. It takes renewing of the mind. To please God means having the mind of Christ. That's the only way we can really please him. We've got to know what pleases him. That's having his mind. We cannot cover the acts of the old nature by putting on a charade of holiness and hope the old will eventually drop off. It doesn't work that way. That is not what we need. Those things that are of the old nature actually need to be put off, and several times in the scriptures we're told to put them off. And they're to be replaced, not covered over, replaced by putting on the new nature. That's easier said than done, isn't it? But why is it important? Why do I feel it's important today? Well, we need to be renewed in mind if we're to handle living in a world that's getting worse by the day. Would you agree that we are getting in a rotten world? We were told it was going to get worse. Believe me, it's getting worse. And we're beginning to notice it. And it's nothing compared with what's happening in some countries where Christians are being persecuted, where Christians are being murdered uh, just for their faith because of who they are. Recently, we've seen in this place the passing of the same-sex marriage bill, the assisted dying bill, and attempts to stop any talk of Jesus in schools and the censoring of CRE. All those things have come. On top of that, they're talking about gender choice. Well, I know who I am. I don't know about you. At the same time, we are seeing acts of terror from Muslims and an increasing crime, especially from youths. Much of this is politically led. Yet we're told elsewhere that authorities are set up by God and we're to pray for them. Well, I don't know about you. Are you confused? I sure am. You know, as you read this stuff and you think, well, hey, these people are doing the wrong. But just remember that the time that Paul was talking about, remember who the emperor was. It was Nero. <laughs> so um, he's not, it's not a mistake. He knows what he's saying. Should we, how should we respond in this day and age? And that's the question I want to answer today. We've got missionaries we support who are working among all of these types of people and they're trying to do their best to try and win people to Christ. What we do need is wisdom of the wisdom of Christ. How can I love the hateful and those who stand for everything I know is wrong? Can you give me that answer to that question? It's not an easy one, is it? And this is why we have to be transformed in this way. Um, do I see Muslims as souls for whom Christ died? Big question. When you see them murdering each other, murdering other people, all this ridiculous stuff we're seeing in the news. And yet I was a missionary to Muslims. And I saw Muslims come to Christ. And there are Muslims going to be in heaven because they turn to Christ. They are not unsavable. So let's make sure we know that. And if I hadn't done that, 
and Christ, the Lord told me I had to do it. I know that things can happen. You see, love and hate are opposites. They don't go together at all. Remember, though, that it was love that defeated Satan at Calvary. Wasn't it? That's true, isn't it? As we look today at Second Peter, we're going to see, in Second Peter 1, we shall see he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That means understanding Christ, having the mind of Christ. If you're participating in that, you're also getting his wisdom because the Holy Spirit lives within you. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's the release we've had when we came to Christ, when we accept him by faith. And we don't have to go on living with those things. And that's the wonderful bit. And this is what Peter's trying to say to us in Second Peter chapter 1. So the first thing I want us to notice is building on our faith is our responsibility. It's our responsibility. My wife's favorite writer, she reads it every day without fail and has done for I don't know how many years. Actually, the book was originally given to me and she took it over and she's read it ever since. And that's a book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost uh, for His Highest. And one of the passages he says in there is so right. He says, we are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save nor sanctify ourselves. God does that. But God will not give us good habits or, of, or character and he will not force us to walk correctly before him. We have to do all that ourselves. We must work out our own salvation, which God has worked in us. And he's talking about what's said in Philippians 2.12, about working out our salvation. And if you're not quite sure what that means, it's in the idea of a, a gold mine. You've got a gold mine, and it's got to be... It doesn't mine itself. You've got to work it out. You've got to take the stuff out of it. That's working it out. And we've got to do that. We've got to work out our salvation, our own salvation, by letting God take us over. And the list Peter gives us in verses 5 to 7 isn't, don't get it wrong, it's not a choice. Because the aim is for us to add all of these qualities to our faith. One leads to another, and that's an improvement. It's a bit like making a cake. Now, you didn't know I was a chef, did you? Neither did I, but um, my wife is pretty good. And I got this from her, really. Each ingredient makes a change in the final product. While adding chocolate improves the taste, unless you don't like chocolate, it still needs a pinch of salt to make it taste better. I'd add it, when in my original notes I'd put sugar, and Sim said, oh, you have to add a pinch of salt to make the chocolate taste come out. Did you know that? There you go. I didn't know that. So uh, I learned something that day. Uh, but uh, that is the sort of thing. But it did change. It makes it taste better. But you see, in the end, it's the final product that matters. It's important because, as Peter says, it's the way we can think like God in a corrupt world. And that's what we need to be doing, so that we can think like God and have his mind. Peter says, make every effort 
to confirm your election and calling. And the original word for that means giving, give all diligence. And that's a, a business term. We used to mean thorough and constant effort. Um, you know, people say you've got to uh, do the diligence on a, uh, give due diligence to a, a program or something or to a, a contract and all this stuff. And that's where that comes from. It's a business term we use to mean thorough and constant effort. It's not a one-off, but we need to have this attitude all our lives so we can respond to the changing world around us. It's to be the lifestyle of the Christian, if you like. Peter gives us seven qualities to build on in this passage. Let's have a look at them. Firstly, we are to add goodness, or in the King James Version it says virtue. And I looked at the word for this in the Greek, and I wasn't happy because it just didn't make much sense, so I headed into my lexicon, and I found the word means uprightness. Or in Philippians 4.8, it's translated excellent. What are we talking about? We're talking about living an exemplary life. That's what that boils down to. That's what goodness is. Living an exemplary life. One that can stand scrutiny by the harshest critic. There's a person we know, so famous, who so many people have tried to tear him down, was Billy Graham. So many people have tried to destroy him and to make rubbish him and say, look, he's not like this. And they've never been able to bring Billy Graham to a point where you could say there was something wrong with him. He stands absolutely beyond criticism. And it doesn't come naturally. We have to put it on and get rid of the old nature. It's no use leaving what's there before. This has got to be put on if we're going to be like that. The things that we did before and the things we liked before, we put away. Things I loved before have gone to stay. For, gone to stay. And then to this, we're told we've got to add knowledge. And again, this doesn't mean getting a PhD, because Peter certainly was no university student. He had little formal education. In fact, somebody noticed that these Galileans were very poor learning. They were not educated. And yet he comes up with things like this. The word is, uh, word, Greek word gnosis, enfolds wider knowledge, particularly in light of Christian enlightenment. Let me explain. When you read scripture, and I'm sure this has happened to you, when you read the scriptures, suddenly, for no reason at all, a word shines out and seems to have a new meaning. And you forget what the preacher is preaching, and you start looking up stuff around it. Have you done that? I'm always doing that. That is spiritual enlightenment. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. So the word knowledge is really speaking of spiritual growth because that's where it comes from. And you find yourself learning something more and getting closer to Christ. That's what knowledge, and we're to add that to our faith, to, to get that spiritual growth. The next addition is self-control. Now, not many of us claim, can claim to have this quality, at least not in much quantity. And even at my age, I still get uptight whenever I hear about another atrocity, or even if someone cuts in on me on the freeway. Um, my wife found out all about me too at one time when we were on our honeymoon and my, our little Morris Minor that we had then 
kept breaking down every 20, every 100 feet. And I had to keep tapping the, the uh, petrol pump on it because it would go click, 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 and we get to the next hill. <laughs> she found out all about my lack of self-control. <laughs> it's hard to put off natural emotion and replace it with, I forgive. There's a, I've got an example of this I ought to tell you. I, I was questioning whether I ought to bother, but this is a question of when I was a very young Christian and really hadn't been taught very much at all. And I got called up into the army to serve my two years. And I was at um, a hospital in Germany, BMH Hostet, and um, I was waiting for a posting uh, out to use my proper professional abilities, so I just worked in the store under another uh, person. And while I was there, I had to, I had to be a mere private, and uh, I was in the ordinary dormitory that they, uh, barracks they call them, of course, and uh, I was so naive, I put my wallet out on the table next to me, and a guy called Taffy, who was a corporal, um, saw it there, and he came and he begged me to lend him some money. Again, I was, like I said, I was very immature and didn't understand and didn't think twice, and I gave him uh, what he wanted. And he said, I'll pay it back at the end of the week. But the end of the week came, and the end of the next week came, and nothing. So I confronted him, and I said, you know, you promised to give me back that money. It's all I've got. And he grabbed me by the throat and threatened to choke me. And I said, well, I'm going to have to report this. And he was ready to just about kill me, and he kept head-butting me and telling me, um, you know, fight me. Come on, fight me. And something in me said, do not fight do not do it. I was only a new Christian. Hardly, hardly had any teaching. And I knew it would be wrong. And I didn't retaliate. Instead, I, I, I had self-control and I held off. You know, the day after, Taffy came to me and gave me the money that he owed me and apologized. And what's more, better than that, I, he gave me the opportunity to tell him why I didn't hit him back. That happens. And I was only, only been a Christian for such a short time. It works. Self-control does work because that's what Christ is like. And that's what he told us to do. It's a nice little story, isn't it? But it's really true. And you know, that's one of the things that's encouraged me on my life's, my life, uh, way of living. I've been never afraid to stand for that because of that. To that quality, were to add perseverance or patience. Well, this is the now generation. Of course, you young people don't want to have any to do with that. You don't want things now. I want it. What is it? Was it that song that Queen sings? I want it all, and I want it now. <laughs> um, but uh, we're all a little bit like that. We don't have very much in the way of perseverance or patience. But you know, God has a plan that does not change. Don't think that praying changes God's plans. Praying is getting in line with God's plan, not trying to change it, as we tend to think. And, you know, getting ahead of him is not only a waste of time, but it can just bring disappointment and even disbelief. Because if he doesn't get answered, you say, well, he can't be there. How many times have you thought like that? But that's not true at all. You see, 
God does not change his plan. I can pray for something and never see it happen. But it will, it will get answered. It doesn't say that God doesn't answer it. It's not always yes. And sometimes he knows some things that I don't know. There's prayers that I've prayed that I'm glad he didn't answer. But should I stop praying because he didn't answer? Jesus said, God answers prayer. And I'll ask the question, and I say it to myself, don't I believe him? That's a good question, isn't it? To perseverance, we're to add godliness or piety. Now, this was another difficult word in the Greek. The Greek word also means to be reverent or devout. We should, as I looked, thought, and prayed about this word to see how I could explain it, I began to realize what he's saying. We should not be flipped with things of God. And that's something that's come so easily in this day and age. People can be so flippant, can't they? And uh, we Christians are not beyond doing it. You know, Moses was told to remove his shoes because the ground on which he was standing was holy. Do you think he was flip about that? Anyone who touched Mount Sinai was to be put to death. That doesn't sound very lighthearted. No one but the holy priest, but the high priest, could enter the holiest of holies, and then only once a year. That wasn't to be taken lightly. Uzzah, if you remember, touched the ark of the covenant to steady it when it was on a cart where it shouldn't have been anyway. And what happened to him? God struck him dead on the spot. And you feel, oh, that was rather harsh. But that gives us an idea of these things are written for our enlightenment so that we understand that there are some things that cannot be treated in a flippant way. And in the New Testament, Jesus spoke of casting pearls before swine. If we hold the things of God with disrespect, how can we expect others to change? One of the things I learned when we were at Bible college was when Graham Miller, uh, who was the principal, was teaching us Romans. And when we were, we were getting all these lectures, and you know when you're in college, you scribble, trying to get your notes down. And I was pretty good at scribbling, having been through pharmacy college and all that. And uh, one of the first things he said to us, please do not use a shortening for the word Holy Spirit. Put it in full. Never write HS. That is so disrespectful because the Holy Spirit is one of the members of the Godhead. Do you know what? It stayed with me all my life, and it still is. I will never write HS for the Holy Spirit, no matter how short I want to do it, because that shows something of the respect we need to have when we have got someone like God in our lives. Disrespect reflects our attitude towards the creator of all the earth. Now, that doesn't, when I, I'm speaking like this, it doesn't mean never smiling or closeting ourselves like a monk. If I were to meet with the queen, I show, I'd show respect for her position. Never been asked, but there you go. There is a time to show the world that I am serious about things that God takes seriously. Things like sin and salvation, the need for repentance, and hell. Those are not laughing matters. 
not to be treated flippantly in any way. And so we must be careful how we speak. And that's why Peter adds this in this thing that we are to, to have this kind of respect. Next, add brotherly love, mutual respect. I think that's a bit weak. I like brotherly love. The word is Philadelphia, and that's what it means. Literally, it means brotherly love. Now, that's the word. And do you know that can be one of the hardest things? To have brotherly love is not easy. We are to remember who our real enemy is. You see, men are mostly victims rather than enemies. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 6.12, doesn't he? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Brotherly love goes hand in hand with self-control. We must handle everyone carefully because we have no idea who God has chosen to save. You don't know that person who's going to come to the Lord on their deathbed. You don't know that person who something you said is going to lead them to Christ. Look at that jailer when the, when the guys were in prison there. You know, the last person they would have expected to come to Christ. We can't make those judgments on earth. Just remember that our fellow human beings are in the same boat as we were, and let's extend God's grace to them too. You know, even Ananias, must, well, he was dubious. There's no doubt about it. He was dubious about going to, to Paul, uh, to Saul of Tarsus as he was then, even when God himself was sending him. So it's not surprising that we get times when we tread carefully. But look at the reward that can come. We just don't know who is going to be saved in this world. The person who you think is the greatest unbeliever can become a believer. And I had a surprise when a relative of Gillian's was dying, phoned me up to say goodbye. He knew he was going to, and he died within two days. And something said to me, tell him about Jesus again. And I, over the phone, he was in Western Australia, and I led him to Christ over the phone, on his deathbed. I never thought I'd ever see that happen. I've always been a bit skeptical about that. But he understood and he said a, a sinner's prayer of repentance over the phone. With how deep it meant, what it meant, that's God's business, not mine. But all I know is that I was obedient. And that's how, why we must have brotherly love for each other. And the last thing that's added to all these other things is agape love. That love that Christ had for us. It's selfless. It doesn't go by what we think. It's the love, the type of love that God has. And the best commentary on that, and I'm not going to go into it today because it needs a whole sermon, is 1 Corinthians 13. There is no better commentary on it. And the day that we perfect ourselves in agape love, we really are like Christ. I haven't made it yet. Because it's that love that fulfills our Christ-likeness for which we were created. Well, that's what we have to add to our faith. The second thing I want to look at is building on our faith is essential. And that's in verses 8 to 10. And uh, Peter does not expect an overnight change. 
You know, it takes about 18 years for a baby to become an adult. And when they turn 18, are they really adults? Of course, all the 18-year-olds here will say yes, but uh, if there are any. But we know that that doesn't happen at all. You don't just get it that day, and uh, even if you think you have. And uh, to add all these qualities to our lives actually takes all our lifetime. This is our preparation for eternal life. So our short time in this world is a pretty good investment um, of our time and effort. You know, um, I've reached my 80s, and I still haven't found it all yet. And I'm sure there's nobody here who's made it yet completely. But one of the most frustrating things we find as believers is how ineffective we seem to be in propagating our faith. While we must keep in mind that our spiritual gifts are limited to what God has given us individually, don't get these mixed up, these qualities that we've been speaking of are essential if we're to help build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter assures us that if we build in increasing measure, it will make us effective and productive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's a great thing, isn't it? That's what he's promising us. The more he gives, as the more effort we put into increasing our knowledge of him, the more he gives us, because we make ourselves more usable by the Holy Spirit. The more we grow, the more assurance we have, and the bolder we are at being apostles. On the other hand, Peter gives us a warning to those who are lazy or cannot be bothered. How can a person who has tasted the Christian life walk away? I believe it's because they've not understood the sinfulness of sin or understood the grace of God in the finished work of Christ. Peter says they are nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Just think how awful, how awful it will be to come before Christ's throne to be told that you're saved as by fire, that he's not pleased with you, that you've just made it, he made a promise, and you believed, and you're saved, but you never wanted to grow. And there you are, standing before Christ. That's going to be an awful thing to happen. Don't let it. Or for Jesus to say, which is even worse, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the warning that goes with this passage. The more we add to our faith, the more we are aware of God's amazing grace. And lastly, building on our faith gives us assurance. We find that in verses 10 to 11. And Peter gives us two promises to those who make the effort to ensure their faith is based on reality and not on wishful thinking. Because that's what this is all about in this passage. Peter says we will never stumble. That means never fail. The more we grow in these qualities, the more reliable instrument we become. I put originally tool, and I crossed it out as I was preparing this and wrote in instrument, because I prefer to be thought of as an instrument than a tool. He plays me. He plays me. I don't play him. And it's not me doing what he does. It's him. I will tell you, his, 
instrument doesn't play itself, does it? <laughs> if he left it on the side, it wouldn't play those beautiful tunes. It takes somebody to use him, to use it with skill. Any work that we do in our own strength is bound to fail. But remember, what God does using us can only succeed. And that's what Peter is saying here. On the day, he says, well done and good and faithful servant, it will not be for what we've done, but for what he has been able to do because of our obedience. That's what makes the difference. And the second promise is a simple one. It's that we can count on a warm welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Isn't that lovely? That's a promise of Scripture. That when you do, when you're obedient, when you try your best for God, when you do your best to revere Christ, when all these things are in your life, you're going to get a warm welcome. He won't be sending an angel to greet you. He'll be there himself. That's wonderful. In this new year, let's not focus on the, on the, ho on the temporary with holy-sounding resolutions, but on putting off the things that hold us back, replacing them with eternal values. Don't let them just drop off. Cast them off. That's the way to do it. I love this verse from Philippians 4.8, which tells us what to do to really understand. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's how we're to go in the new year. God bless you all and have a happy new year.